0: to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host Katrina Van Eyck and in today's episode I interview a young lady who has been involved in many levels of the Australian aquatic industry and who has also spent time swimming and coaching in USA. Kelly Perkins is an experienced marketing research consultant with a demonstrated history of working in the management consulting industry. Outside of swimming, Kelly is skilled in event planning, customer service, coaching, advertising and sales. She has a bachelor's degree focusing on business commerce from the University of New England. In 2016, Kelly developed a boutique swim school called New Swim in Queensland which caters for children, adults and competitors alike. At New Swim, Her students are not trained to a level-based structure. The technique-based program is developed by the personal strengths and weaknesses of each student and focuses on the individual's stroke development and continued improved skills, challenging them to perform well in all situations. I am so pleased to be able to share Kelly's story and her views on the aquatic industry both pre- and post-COVID. Due to technical difficulties, we had to re-record the second half of this interview. So there may be some changes in our conversation regarding the 1st countrywide lockdown for COVID and then the second COVID lockdown currently experienced by Victoria. Please share your thoughts on Kelly's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, as I'd love to hear what you think about Kelly's views, how we can expand on them, or if you have a different point of view. And you will find all her contact details and my contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic story, please contact me via my email, which is regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com because so I would love to hear your story and be able to share it with my fantastic audience. So Let's jump right in and find out about Kelly's journey in swimming.
1: How did I start my swim journey? As a typical Queensland kid, I started at three months old in baby classes at Newmarket Fulham in Brisbane. We then went away to Sydney and I did baby classes in Sydney for about 14 months, I think my mum said. Maybe she wasn't sure, I can't remember. And then I spent probably the chunk of my childhood and coaching years actually at one swim school. So I started at John Cruise Swim School in Brisbane just before I turned three, and I was there until I was 22. (laughs) Wow. So so I went all the way through from babies to learn to swim for five years to tadpoles that they had at the time. I was the first batch of what they called tadpoles then, to junior squad, to senior squad, to the elite or senior elite, whatever they wanted to call it back then, to... My 12 months of Bob Carew learning to be a swim teacher on a Saturday morning after training to going to schoolies and Mr. Carew saying, what are you going to do as a part-time job? And I said, well, maybe work still at KFC, which I had one or two shifts a week there whilst still in grade 12. So I spent my whole childhood in one swim school. Like I don't have one of these fancy stories where I left and came back and did all of that. Um, the only thing was is we lived in California for three years when I was in my middle school years. And I was involved with three different clubs there. SPPY, um, based in San Pedro in the Palos Verdes area. PVAC, um, which is a club called Palos Verdes Aquatics Club, which is a new club or a newer club then. I swam very briefly for a couple of months, summer before we came back at Nova Aquatics in Irvine, which was amazing. I can't describe to you how great the club is, that club was. And in the middle of each summer, when we would come back to Australia, I would go back into the Karoo stable, and I would swim each summer at at USC for a couple of weeks in their swim camp program. Wow! So I don't have a very interesting, crazy swimming story at all. I, I actually think you to... do. Yeah. Oh, really? Amazing. Then just I think going I was through the same. I was with the same coaches and the same people. Like, it was weird when I went into this coaching and swimming teaching staff. Like, I got to go behind the glass door. It was weird at first, but anyway, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I was very, very blessed to be part of a program that was so strong and had a, one of the first learn some programs in the country and that went through right through to squad. So it was a huge blessing and I probably was in the right place at the right time to be asked to be on the staff. It was sad when I left. I was going into corporate world. It was time for a change. It was time to grow up and leave. it. <laughs> I took the careers to lunch because I didn't know how else to tell them that I was <laughs> leaving. And in hindsight, I could probably have stayed there my whole life and stayed on teaching in their lesson program. They stopped doing about squads. Shortly after I left, actually, when crew got sick. So it was probably good timing. Um, My professional swimming journey, obviously, I started with crews. And what was the greatest thing about that and then swimming as a child in the States at USC was that I got to go back and forth and be part of their, their summer swim program, coaching staff with their collegiate program and then their age group program that they allowed in during the summers. And... I then went just to a new program that was started up with a bunch of a couple of coaches who had been at Carew's and we did it was called Seals Aquatics out of the University of Queensland, and we did St Aidan's, which is a prep school, girls prep school up here as well. Then that program finished up, and while still working corporate, I went to Brisbane Boys' College, and I was at Brisbane Boys' College for four years. When I first went there, they had a female head coach and director of swimming, and then. She left and then they got another guy, Adam Hoskins. I then from BBC on a gentleman's agreement went to churching mm-hmm. for four years. And we also had two and a half seasons. We got to do the Lord's Hill program, which is a Catholics, local Catholic girls program that we got to help run as part of that bigger swim school and stuff. Then I started New thing So sort of more, had more experience changing programs than I did as in my own swimmer myself. Um, mm-hmm. Marriage to all of this in my swimming journey is that I had the privilege of being involved with Water Polo. That gave me a lot of great lifelong friends. I was put in a women's team at 17, just when I was in grade 12. And some of those women that were on that women's team are some of my closest friends to this day. And I got to go on a lot of great experiences because of them. Being on committees, being helping start an up and coming National League team, to, you know, sitting at race associations, black tie dinners, and a whole bunch of other fun and crazy stuff in between. So, and when I started both of my businesses, people from that area have been great support, whether it be Google Ads or setting up website stuff, Brad Lauder, um, to business mates of mine who, we sit across the table once a year and drink too much red wine, I'm sure of it, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, and I probably in that group was treated like the little sister for many years, so that was a bit of fun too because I got away with probably a lot more stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's been a big part of my swimming journey is that I had water polo as well, and it's not swimming for say, it's aqua, it's part of the aqua ranch, mm-hmm. but water polo was great because i even though i was in a great squad i wasn't a great state champion or anything i just happened to be in the right national squad with the right people at the right time so swimming gave me my own thing perhaps swimming up and down laps and crew was a very big believer that we did other sports as well so have six weeks at the after age nationals and have some tape downtime and try other things and row and do all of that so that was a, a great gift in water polo, and I have sent a lot of my athletes over the years to play water polo, who are good technique-driven swimmers but hate swimming up and down a black line. And a lot of them have chosen water polo over swimming, unfortunately. But there is a huge niche in water polo, and I think water polo will come out of this whole coronavirus thing stronger as well, because people they'll want that teamship kind of attitude. And water polo is very diverse; it's a great sport.
0: I love how you can relate the two, sort of water polo and having different sports because I know now they say not to size into a sport until the kids are older and I think they're still sort of swimming, they're still learning that strength but they're doing something that's a bit more active and a bit more using their brain. So that's great you were able to use the two. I
1: think also because when I was at swimming training, I had to, to be quiet all the time. Like you can't really talk that much, and maybe because it was a squad, I was you know I never really talk much as me, but yes. something happened, when, and I was and I'm a natural talker, <laughs> so when I went to water polo, I like I was really good at yelling out for the ball and stuff because I was like, oh, it's all trapped inside me, and I need to get my word count out. And so, we want them to excel too early in swimming and and in most sports, and and I think that's because, again, swimming is a year round sport now; it's not just like you have in country towns six months of the year and then they go on to the next thing Mm -hmm. we specialize a lot younger so I don't really know have any true answer on when the kids should specialize I think maybe grade nine is a good idea that they start to cut the amount of sports down that they do so they can nurture their skills but I think if their skill and their technique stays and they're generally fit like we talked about earlier this afternoon so I think they can wait a little while too. And it's that same debate with when do you bring in weight training and all of that kind of stuff. I think mm. you can wait a little bit as long as they've got core strength. But I think there's opportunities in the country for coaches to all sit down together and come up with a
0: like, yeah, like
1: a council I mean. pro- like a council program.
0: Maybe that's the best way to call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that. What's lesson that you learned in your swimming journey? I
1: think if
0: persistence does pay off.
1: Like, if somebody had told me as a 13 10 year old that I would be a swimming teacher and own a swimming business at 37, I would have told them they were dreaming because <laughs> I wanted to be an account marketing and director of a marketing firm, or, or even actually, I love Binet. I I would have never thought that I would have a business like this so I think it's about persistence and I think it's about understanding that you just keep nurturing the craft or you keep nurturing something and you keep working on it and working on it and working on it and eventually you'll get to your end goal this the 10 year olds that you see winning all the ribbons are not going to be the 15 year olds that are going to win the age nationals and I've seen it time and time again the junior swimmers have peaked left the sport at 10 and 11, gone to something else and the kid that was coming fifth and fourth ends up sitting on an Olympic team or sitting on a state team and, and representing the state or whatever they represent. So I think swimming has taught, me about, has taught me about persistence. It's taught me that there's a love for something that's greater than just going to school every day and, and working hard at school. It's a family. Swimming has taught me that there's, there's always an extended family.
0: Mm.
1: even though I have a great family and I have great friends and I have great family friends and swimming is a little bit crazy like I keep saying swimming up and down the back line is not a lot of fun but I think it's taught me about persistence and I think it's taught me about and I think as a teacher it's reinstalled in me that you've got to be patient
0: Mm.
1: you've got to be patient and the occasional bribery does work (laughs) I like that yeah (laughs) bribery does work (laughs) and the other thing is is that and I say to my swimmers I have one main rule outside of you know you've got to respect and say thank yous and please and thank yous and all that kind of stuff but my one rule is that they're not allowed to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend till they're 25 and if if they do before 25 I do not want to hear about it (laughs) because there's a lot of living to be had
0: I love that I love it that's brilliant I'm sure I'm and my, like
1: all my right. little boys, they know like, oh, no, go 25. And and I'm not your friend either. I think there's the one other thing that as a teacher yeah. and a coach, I, know, is that I'm, I'm, I am part of your life, like your mum and your dad and your grandma and your grandpa, but I am never going to be your friend. So let's yeah. just get this straight off the bat. And so because I, I had some early on saying, oh, you're my best friend. Oh, you're my best friend. And I said, I'm not your friend. I'm never gonna be your friend because <laughs> I think there still needs to be that old school line in the sand where it's like, no, no. Yeah. So I have a rule: you're not allowed to be my friend on Facebook or social media until they're 25 or okay. 21 if they're graduated from uni or their their chosen career path. Yeah, and half the time they forget, and then they come to 24 and oh, can I be your friend now? So, well, you, I guess, Tick. <laughs> but and. So I, I have one Zuma that I had. He was in my first ward. as a four-year-old, well three-and-a-half. He was very good Suma. And he got a girlfriend just before he turned 21. And he was too scared to tell me that he had his, girl, his girlfriend. Like, it was quite stupid <laughs> and quite serious. And, like, it took him a long time to build up the guts to say, can I go out for coffee with you? And you know, like, I just want to tell you something that I've got a girlfriend. And I was like, Pete, you're breaking all my rules because <laughs> I'm so scared. I'm like, it's okay. When do I get to meet her?
0: So I had another
1: <laughs> meeting, I had to meet
0: the girlfriend,
1: have coffee. She's lovely. She's so nice. But at the time, he was so right, scared to tell me that I had a girlfriend because I'd scared him his whole life. <laughs> I think that's the best thing I've learned out of swimming is that you've got to be persistent and that it is a sport for life, that you never stop learning. And mm. swimming is so technique driven in a lot of ways. And it's such an individual sport that you've got to be somewhat crazy, like really. But it is, <laughs> yeah. a, fly, and it is a sport for life. And but again, if somebody told a 13 year old me that I would be doing this as a full time gig and left a corporate career behind, I would have said you are crazy. Like, <laughs> but it's no, a
0: special kind of crazy. It is a special type of crazy, but it's a fun. I so out of all that and out of everything you've done in swimming and water polo and that side of it, what would be a highlight or is there a couple of highlights you could think of in your journey?
1: I think as a swimmer, I think... SPPY when I swam and we won like a their version of like a club championship mm-hmm. I think that was a really fun experience and the way they structured teams and all the mascots and all of that that goes around it I think swimming Catholic school girls was a lot of fun I don't really have any great things that stood out at state titles for myself or any of that kind of stuff again you know I had Kieran Perkins in my squad and Heath Ransom oh, and Lewis and Jenny McMahon and all of that like sitting in the career stable. So like I, you know, we had channel Ten Nine nine news crews out the front every so often. So like, I don't really have any like great memories of that, you know, your funny outsider in-house jokes, stories. <laughs> Professionally, I think the opportunity to swim at USC was a to coach and swim at USC was amazing. And to go to an Olympic trials and be on the floor at Olympic trials at the U.S., the atmosphere is, is nuts. And they had a semi-permanent pool that they had just bought that they reconstructed so that they could reconstruct it in different stadiums across the country oh. for their trials. Yeah, and their first – the one I went to was in Long in Long Beach. And so that was really fun and to be on the floor for that. And I met my great friend, Dart and um, there. Andrew's winning an Andrew's Cup, which is like a junior school prep meet. Um, first year we were second to dead last, and um, the second year we came second. So that was a huge improvement, and it took a lot of negotiation across all different sports to get there. And that was a real huge team effort. And kids learned to swim butterfly in two weeks, like crash courses, and it's one that it for years. So <laughs> that was a nuts thing we did. So. That's probably my most, quite professional, I think. Also, on the professional side, I have an opportunity to teach kids on the autism spectrum. And one in particular has really made me think more in the last three years, think more, read more into that area than I probably had for a while at least. So, um, yeah, Chloe Godard has really changed a lot of the way I would structure a class for a kid on the spectrum and beautiful soul and I have a lot of professional and professional admiration for that kid. Like it's just amazing.
0: What well, you've learnt with her and how you've had to read and develop lessons for her, has any of that flowed into mainstream lessons?
1: Probably a little bit with adults. So at around the same time as I got Loi as a student, I had a client of mine was an adult and she had never learnt to swim before. So she was petrified of the water. So we spent the first three months, it was all neuroscience stuff, really. And I didn't realize I was doing neuroscience on her, like, cognitively explaining stuff in a neuro way until I read a book after Chloe had said something and I went, oh, I should read that book. And then it all kind of clicked together. So I do some stuff. And definitely the stuff about feel and touch and all of that. With this adult now, she can do, she started bubble arm, breath arm and got the arms going and and then coronavirus happened and unfortunately her pool had to shut. So it's been very frustrating month for us because I'm we're trying to get make sure her buoyancy stays the same. Just laying in the bathtub pretty much is all she can do. I've always had an interest in kids with learning difficulties and stuff. So I always make sure that when I'm explaining something, I'm showing them at the same time so that yeah. they can understand. I'm a big believer of writing everything on yellow paper because <laughs> so you learn better on yellow. And I use coloured pens all the time to describe stuff. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. Yeah, some of the stuff I have learnt with Quali, I've put into other places, probably consciously. But I think there's a lot of work being done in neuroscience and the way the brain thinks and brain train and all of that kind of stuff. The girl that I work with, Chloe, her parents have started a program in Australia called Brain Train. Um, they have an office in Melbourne and it's all about teaching the left and the right side of the brain and strengthening that, particularly oh. with kids who suffer anxiety issues and learning difficulties and are on the spectrum and stuff like that. They also yeah. do it for adults as well. So, again, when I go to her parents' house, I like to learn something about that area as well. I'm telling you, I probably get more out of going to their house and Chloe probably gets out of swimming lessons some days.
0: (laughs) That's great though. It's good that you can learn though and that she's influencing you to be able to learn different things.
1: Yeah, so I guess I haven't really had a mentor the last couple of years. I've got great friends in Business Joe and and Heath Ramsey and Adam Hoskins and all that. But I probably should look at getting a mentor again or working somewhere like a conversation with this every fortnight. would be fantastic to swap ideas. I I guess because I've been living in my own little world. (laughs) Um, And that's probably another reason why I probably should go back and one of my mates maybe try and get him to do one session a week with him. Be able to ask the question and get an answer from someone because at the moment I ask the question, go home, poddle it, bring a phone call, do some Googles. That's the one thing I miss about being part of a staff and a team is that if you had a problem, you just quickly ask the question and it's done.
0: Like you said, with having a staff member to sort of bounce things off of, in that regard, you get a different perspective. Whereas if you research it, you're still researching it in your own perspective. And yeah. someone like a mentor or a staff member that you can go through it just, you think, but then actually makes you think in a different way as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I probably should get a bit more disciplined in that over the next couple of months. I do go home to Careers now and then and Speak 5 and I need to go do that more and ask Lynn wacky questions. Um, and I do like to go to conference. Um, did you go to conference this
0: year? I conference. went to the ASTA one last year. That was the first time I've done Last
1: that. year, yeah. That's what I mean, last year. on yeah. the. Con- and what did you think? Did you enjoy it?
0: Oh, I loved it. I got the bug. Did you back really? This year. Yeah, I planning <laughs> to go back this year to do four different courses and I blocked it out in my diary. I blocked it out every year. I said to my husband, I'm always going, oh, what about going every three years? Not every year I'm going. <laughs> yeah, you loved it. Yeah, it's so excited.
1: Did you go out and do the
0: pool sessions or did you stay in the classroom? I stayed in the classroom just because there was so much information coming that I wanted to um, learn from. And I think at the time, the classroom sessions influenced my thinking, sort of developing, yeah, same. developing this in school. Um, the technique side, I just done my bronze coaching, so I'd had a lot of that. But Yeah, so much. I can understand
1: that. I did the autistic masterclass the day before.
0: Yeah, and even yeah. just the talk, I mean, I, Joanne Love, who is my mentor, and I pretty much, I think I'm one of her stalkers, I do nearly everything she does. I just find that I learn so much from what she teaches. So I did her stuff and I did, there was an American lady who came along with her swim school and talked I saw that one too yeah that was really really good and a lot of the the table ones so they had a few people in there it was really quite understanding and getting other people's point of views I think and I just sat there going oh my god look at all these elite coaches like Ian Pope yeah. smiled at me and I went oh my gosh it's Ian Pope and I'm thinking "Just like, a normal guy I spoke to Laurie Lawrence I started crying in front of Laurie Lawrence and he got all embarrassed and his daughter was like, don't worry about it. And he's like, Oh no, no, no. I can't handle tears just because he gave me an hour of his time three years ago when I wanted to work out something with my business. And he was so and chatted to me over the phone. And then when I saw him in person, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I went up to my mentor, and she's like, "These are just normal people." And I'm like, "I oh, know, my idols, like they're like celebrities." And two
1: because, and two because you don't get to see them. Like, I guess yeah. we see them all the time at carnivals and at meets, and it's sort of like, it's like, oh. And so, like when I when I think back and I go, oh my god, and I even said to my boss, said to my thing, I say, I didn't know you swam, with Kieran Peck. Do you know how big that is? And I'm like. <laughs>
0: All I can think of all is, like, there's this high school stuff in my head. Oh
1: Us <laughs> in like, the country,
0: oh, we see them on the TV and they're winning gold medals or they're swimming and they're amazing and just, you just spend the whole time with them and it's just natural for you. We're like, oh, they're celebrities, they're gods. And that's probably a bad thing. I probably should be a bit more,
1: like, starstruck. But i go, like, mm, I don't know. Like No, coming from someone who is yeah it's, it's prefer, better not okay, to but be. then when I see Janet when, but then when I see Janet Evans and bo got these U.S. guys like I'm like you but like when I was on pool deck at the trials you see I was like oh my god there's films oh my god oh my god like I was like you I just think it's like but it's a different country I was like, so I get that star yeah. strap thing I do but at home I'm like oh my god and I guess because <laughs> yeah I don't know like it's just weird but I to the U.S. I'm like that same sort oh, of thing. Brilliant. It's the same sort of thing. But it is, and Laurie's a great coach and a great believer in, in the High Five program. And I, I thought it was really telling when I looked over and saw those older people of the community of swimming. I is probably not the right word to use, but how their faces, when the statistician from Melbourne got up there and told about the stats from last, the last 12 months, about drownings and all of that kind of stuff. And I just from the corner of my eye I remember looking over and Brooke Hanson was standing there and going, Oh my gosh, like they are so devastated by these numbers because their whole life has been about making sure the numbers come down and that more kids are involved and all of this sort of stuff. And if there's anything I took big out of that conference, is, is we're not doing enough and our kids are going to school at four and they're not water safe and they're going to <laughs> full time school. And it's
0: just not happening. So for you, what does swimming look like in the future?
1: I think from a perspective of like a teaching, from like a school, a swim school's perspective, I think our lessons will go to being two on two. I think that class sizes will be very small. And I think, unfortunately, until this whole epidemic is over, I think people will be paying a premium price this be swimming lessons. I think, unfortunately, I don't see it staying at a, like the general public can afford it. I think it's going to be expensive and that's because the legislation and the, how we've got to clean and do all of that kind of stuff is just going to be more expensive. I think leases are going to go up. I think insurance is going to go up. I think it's going to be just one of those things that will just be much more expensive for people to take lessons I think for the immediate future and hopefully that won't stay long term but I do think in the short term I think it's going to be a luxury thing I know a lot of swimming schools who we were five day a week in our sixth day and those who were only going six day a week less with lessons and now gone to seven days a week sometimes in the first time in 30 years just to make a bark so they can afford to stay open. So I think that will all change. I don't know how you can afford to pay teachers on a Sunday because it's double time and a half, but I'm sure somebody's done the numbers on that. As for the higher end of swimming, I think we just got to make sure that the sports is fun. Like swimming up and down a black line is not every kid's piece of tea. So I think we've got to make sure that kids stay in the sport so that they can do other sports and, I think working with other sports and doing that helps us keep the, number, the kids in the pool. I think water polo will grow at a rapid rate, particularly after this, because I think people miss interaction and water polo is, is a good medium. And I think the powers of each, we should be working with water polo Australia and, and setting up clubs and competitions and all of that kind of stuff because it is a sport that you can do for the rest of your life with swimming. So I think for the future of the sport, I think it needs a bit of work. I think we're in a bit of a crossroad at the moment, and where we'll go and how we'll deal with it. Yeah, but yeah. I think swimming, swimming needs some help. I need, and I also think it needs a really big push for women coaches and women in the sport too. Swimming is traditionally a boys' club, particularly at the top end. So I think we need more representations on regional boards and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Very much a believer that regional boards need representation in the city. Like why in some of these alliance councils are they all men and they're all from the big centres? Now I think a lot of them, those guys have done a fantastic job, particularly what they did in Queensland overnight for COVID. But I do think you need to start thinking the next generation as well. And from an education perspective, from a coaching and teaching perspective, I don't see there's anything wrong in people having to do actual courses that aren't just one day, sitting in a room, do hours. You know, you've got to constantly learn. And I don't think you should just walk on deck and be a coach. I think you have to learn to be a learn-to-swim teacher first because you've got to understand the progression of strokes and you've got to understand the progression of age and mental the mental side of it as much as you can coach a kid on a set, on a cycle set. And yeah, there's a lot of my friends who are great coaches that were terrible learn to swim teachers. Like, I mean, it was actually amusing to still watch and to still hear the stories, but in the back in the day, that's what you had to do. You had to be a learn to swim teacher before you could be a coach. And I think that's where a lot of our coaches are are falling through the cracks. And they don't seem to ever want to go back and do Learn to Swim or even sit into a Learn to Swim seminar with a Laurie Lawrence kind of person. They don't want to do it. And I don't understand why. Yeah, so that's my feeling about the support of the sport. I think it was been interesting through all the webinars that Aska did over COVID, um, the names in the sport that continuously showed up on the chats and you could see login. And the names that I probably have heard of and had seen from afar, who, didn't, who I would have thought in some of them in their area didn't show up. Now, I don't know why that was. Maybe they would have own crisis in their own business, webinars were at the wrong time, all of that. But I did find it interesting that some of the names that I would have assumed would have been in particularly some of the bigger coaching names, as well as to Swim, I guess, too, weren't in the seminars. I thought it was really bizarre, really, really bizarre. And that some who are actually on, like, boards as well, like the representation boards weren't in there. And maybe that's just, maybe I missed it, but I did look out for that. I did almost every single one of them. (laughs) So I don't think there was, like, three I missed. And I watched them afterwards. That doesn't count for your credit rotation points, but I... I did do a lot. And so yeah, I just that was that was something I noticed as well. So I think it's something we need to visit. If you're gonna sit on a board, then you need to start to show up to some of these webinar stuff as well. Um maybe that maybe those people don't see the importance of it. But I think it's important for the future of the sport and developing and also to see those people who are on the board to see what everybody else's opinions are and for us see, and from the other angle, we're seeing the people who's meant to be representing us and where our funding goes towards in helping. So, But I think ASCA did a fantastic job in the turnaround of all that p- content they provided each week, four times a week, some weeks, town hall meetings you know interstate town hall meetings I even listened to a couple of those on random by mistake but I was like oh I'm in Victoria today oh this is interesting I'm just staying because we had more time up our sleeve and probably because I was procrastinating at the time <laughs>
0: but, it oh, just... but that's great
1: so yeah I think the sport needs a, and, a makeover and I think it's for the better I've been following what's been going on in, in other parts of the world Obviously, being half American and of coached in the US and stuff, I've been following the the dramas that unfolding in that country and in this sport. And I don't even know one third of a half of a half. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy what's going on in in their sporting but gymnastics, swimming, um, soccer has had a lot of issues as well. With yeah, I think we need to. You know, it could happen in in this country too. So we need to make sure that we've got the right checks and balances in place for the future of the sport too. I like. I'd also, on a higher end, I'd like. I'm all about education, so I think that we need to have some sort of formalisation and work with the university bodies more from the athlete's perspective as well, and for our own benefits. I think you can't have a master's in coaching without a bachelor in something. I find that really disturbing that you can go and do a master's coaching and not have a bachelor. Um, but that's my personal opinion, I think. But anyway, we'll see what happens in the sport. I think these alliances are a good thing in each state. It's bringing out, putting some more pressure on and it's bringing some new ideas to the front line and stuff. But I don't know. My other, my other interesting thing is I came from a distance squad swimmer as a kid just because us, we had so many distance squad people. And I wonder how if distance squad swimming still has as much pull as like doing the shorter, at the 50s, 100s and with the next generation because the next generation, they really like everything now. They, they want it now. They don't want to wait and I wonder if there was a correlation for what type of events they'll want to swim in the future to what was traditional, you
0: know? Yeah, a, a different way of looking at it. Interesting way of looking at it because, yeah, what, what works um, and what's worked previously with other generations as well. I like that thought.
1: But I really do think that when the kids come out of COVID, particularly like... In States like Victoria and I worry about the Victorian kids probably the most in this country, the most, particularly at the moment because they've in, been in and out of it so many times and homeschooled and unhomeschooled. They're not the only kids in the world that have had, you know, a bad school year, you know, US and the UK at six months almost. By the time they finish school year and go back. I wonder if swimming up and down the black line is going to be so fun learning how to do some 1500 or an 800. It's... Yeah you know, or a 400 IM even, would they want to be able to learn the technique and skill set and all that? So I wonder if those events will fall off the Commonwealth Olympic State Championship event schedule as well. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's thought about it or talked about it yet. I don't know. It'll be interesting oh. to see in the future of the sport. I like the 400 and the 800, but that's was me. Not everyone. These kids probably don't like that <laughs>
0: hang in
1: there i honestly believe that water polo is the next big sport in this country i honestly believe it because it takes the basic swimming skills that we teach our kids as two three and four year olds blah 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 blah, turn and breathe you know kicking properly yeah put a ball in it seven of your best mates yeah it's
0: a fun element and off
1: you go I just don't know if the, a lot of these kids are going to come back and want to do, was it, up and down a black line swimming? Mm. To that, there will be some. There'll be some crazy ones, but like, <laughs> I just don't see it. And because they've spent so much time at home on their computer, I feel like they're going to be craving that those kind those kind of relationships, particularly yeah. boys. Like, I think they're going to be like want to rough the you know boys are boys they're rough so yeah it'd be yeah. interesting to see what happens
0: yeah and i really like those points because it does bring another dynamic to it you know what's the population going to want to do once we get back into you know full sports and full connection and then also you know different generations and then how we work together as an industry and not try and separate ourselves, we sort of need to bring everyone back together and work as a group.
1: What I've always found, and and, and this is probably something, like I've always found this, I've always used to find that learn to swim was all about sharing information and the coaching side of it was like no one ever wanted to share anything, Mm. like particularly in this country. They'd, like they'd pretend they're all best mates at the couple of the years, but reality was that no one ever wanted to share any information about skill sets, training, you know, any of that stuff. You really had to dig deep with someone, and even then, they really never let you sit on their pool deck and go and watch them. And I did watch it, listen to an interesting one of the zillion webinars. Like Laurie Lawrence saying, you need to go and like sit in the stands and watch people pull deck and take notes of their sets and all of that. And I find that that's all a great philosophy and we hope that would that could happen. But the reality is so different. It's so mm. different. And I remember when I was looking for a new coaching position before I started a new swim and just showing up and saying, I know you and blah, blah, blah. blah. My name is So and So, and I've, you know, you, I've seen you around. You realise I've coached for these people. Here's my resume, and pretty much just swuffed off deck, like you can't stay. When the reality should be, stay. I don't have any job for you at the moment, but do you want to stay? That'd be cool. If you could help us with. That'd be fantastic. If you could hold another stopwatch for us. So yeah. the reality is not there. Well, I find in learning to swim, particularly in the beginning years. Everybody was really happy to share information and I did this with my child and I did this with this and I've got this dyslexic one and what can you do? They were more happy to share. But what I've seen change is bigger swim schools start to happen. That's becoming a little bit less and less.
0: Less, yeah, yeah. And hopefully this will turn it around
1: and bring everything back. And that's what I'm saying. I'm hoping that because it was always the philosophy and learn to swim there. Don't own them. If you work, this child works in your program, fantastic. If it doesn't, well, then this is this program and this program and this program. I've seen a a massive change in the last probably four, going maybe five years of that philosophy changing. And even with local people that I've known in the industry here, so like I've got a neighbour who's got a swim school and when I first moved here, I thought, I thought, "Oh, she was more open," and I did some one-offs for her and stuff. Now she's such a closed book because she thinks I'm competition. Well, I offer a totally different service to her, like totally mm-hmm. different philosophy, service. and it doesn't work for every child. I've sent kids to her because it hasn't worked. They haven't worked yeah. with me for certain reasons.
0: Yeah, you know, like so. That's what I coming out of this. I want to connect more because with my regional swim school, I'm only eight lessons and there are other swim schools that run in, you know, near where I go. I don't like going into other people's territory. But, you know, with, if they're in an hour or so, I will actually recommend those swim schools to the kids that I teach and say, well, your kid's showing potential or I really think it would be great for families then to go on and go to these other... So-
1: I'll, I'll give you an example of something here i just just it just reminded me i worked in a traditional swim school for years and years years and one of the girls there she used to always work term two and term three she worked at a little she ran her own little program council program terms one and four in the summer and in this winter she would bring all those kids who wanted to into this other person's program and two and three and it was like it was a it was a gentleman's agreement. Like they could stay at the end of the two terms with them or she, they can come back out, but whatever. It just meant that she could still work and she would take like other their swim school kids' clients on special ones and all of this sort of stuff. But they had like an, a gentleman's agreement that like in first and fourth term, I have my own little, but in this winter months, I'll come and help you and I'll bring those who need to swim through the winter. They can come and you pay me as a normal employee and, you know, yeah, your numbers are helped over that period of time and you're charged the same amount of money and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, that did really help their program. And it helped her because then she got to work 12 months of the year and she liked it in the winter because she didn't have to do all the paperwork and, you know, it was warm and, you know, she got yeah. to work with more people and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. maybe that's something for the future too,
0: for those country programs, you know. Yeah. And it means you're still using your skills over that winter period. You're not then coming new and fresh in, like trying to work out what's going on in summer and get used to using your skills again. You've got it through the whole year and you're using it the whole time.
1: Well, we're week eight this week since my guys have been back and they've finally got them to a point where they're like somewhat fit, these adults, somewhat fit. Like it's been a struggle. And I've got them not drinking Monday to Thursday. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where I'm like, I'm, I said, you drank last night. I had two guys, I was like, <laughs> oh, drinking Monday to Thursday. <laughs> it's hard work. Yeah. But it's taken us eight weeks, even me, to go, oh, my skill set's back. Like, and I'm constantly coaching and teaching and doing stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this back. Yeah, okay. but it does. It take if you don't consistently do it, it takes you a couple of weeks to get your head back around it each time. Yeah, but jokes aside, I don't tell them that they can't drink Monday to no, Thursday. It was just the rule that we made all of us together after co- some people were having a little bit too much fun during COVID. So <laughs> we all decided this
0: was a good rule. I love it. <laughs> How can we as an individual and an industry promote and develop learn to Swim and competitive to encourage more participants but doing that with less funding? With less funding? Hmm.
1: Well, I think there's a huge place for social media presence. I think social media really can help with funding issues. I think you've got to target schools with fun activities, swimming kind of days to develop skills i think in queensland we have really good some schools have really amazing swimming programs where they have swimming lessons every week and then some go for like a term and not have a lesson and they should be having a lesson so i think every child should have a swimming lesson once a week be it in private or public schools i don't think having five week blocks like some schools do is helpful i think they need to go and have a lesson once a week so I think if we could some sort of do some sort of government package on that, that would be great. But again, that you need funding for that. I don't really have an amazing idea on this one. <laughs> or I think a lot of this sort of stuff comes from where the emphasis of swimming and sport and stuff comes from the home. Yeah. I know great families, lovely parents, beautiful Double-income families—they work all week. Last thing they want to do is do swimming lessons on the weekends, you know. And now because of COVID, we don't have a choice. You know, like it's sort of like it's a catch-22 kind of situation. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to know some of the guys how they're dealing with the double-income families and that kind of situation, having lessons on the Sunday. That would be an interesting conversation. I really don't know. I think you've really got to drill it into from parents from when their baby's born that swimming lessons is a skill for life and, yes, you're not going to really love it. I'm not a strong believer in these really structured big school levels programs because I think sometimes that doesn't give a good feeling to the child and I think that doesn't help with self-esteem, you mm-hmm. know. But then some kids, at some point you got to learn checks and balances, don't you? Yeah. I don't really have a great idea on it, how we develop it and with little funding and without it. My whole business is on word of mouth. I really, I've i spent no money on marketing. No. Yeah. My, like, I put up a Facebook page at four o'clock on a rainy Monday, long weekend in October and people just started calling so i've been word of mouth from day one yeah i do a little bit of instagram stuff now and then i probably should, i need to do some more this coming year and i'm you're working on that but mine is purely by word of mouth yeah and kids who have fallen out of programs or coaches who've known me and said can you come and come and help us with this situation and i help them for six weeks or we do something on the side or and that's probably because I've been in the game. I've been in it a, a long time. Mm. And I also go under the radar. So mine's purely by word of mouth. And I fix kids and then send them on too. I don't necessarily keep them for a full summer even. Some of them I go, no, time for you to go to this school. Time for you to try this. <laughs> yeah. What would you do to raise funding? I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm I think the, the same.
0: Word of mouth, it's social media, it's being NADCOVIT for swimming and looking at it in a sort of special situation for each area, each part of the country or each part of the state's different, which takes a lot of work, but it's education. It's educating the family and the parents, like you said, from the start and how swimming can be and making it enjoyable.
1: Yeah. I think that's got a lot to do with it. And I think if we can go out to some of these remote areas more, my big fear about COVID is because a lot of the indigenous areas have been in lockdown for so long now. Like the kids are not going to have, be exposed to the football team that comes to town as much and all of that kind of stuff. Hmm. So I feel, I feel like the sport could probably do a bit more of that kind of stuff do rural trips. I know they go, some groups go off to Cambodia and do all of this stuff abroad. But I think we need to do a bit more at home. Yeah, I think also
0: you can connect that with social media. I mean, we're not seeing our swimmers and our elite swimmers as the idols or as uh, publicised unless it's with an Olympic year. So we can do that through social media. And,
1: that, and that's the difference. Look, you used to watch the national titles for swimming in prime time on Channel Nine at seven thirty on a Monday night, used to be prime time five <laughs> six years ago. We don't get that anymore. Now, is that because the networks don't see the value in the sport and prime timing it? Possibly. Do they feel that like Ninja Warrior makes more money? Probably. Is it because after that debacle at the Olympics and they were all sitting on their phones doing social media and and all of that and not being not even supporting their teammates, is that what happened? Is that where it all changed, you know, at that Olympics? Yeah. I don't know. It's a question we've got to ask. And also it's got to come back to the coaches. The coaches have got to realise that these athletes have got to start giving back. They've got to start not giving back to uh, the greater good and, and, and to the younger swimmers. Like I grew up in a very, very good Australian swimming stable and i remember the oldest olympic swimmers helping out on saturday mornings with learn to swim helping us with our goggles doing stuff and now i think they think they're better than that and they don't need to do it and, oh i've got to get home to coaching i've got to do my recovery i've got to do that well you should be getting in there and helping the younger ones and like pushing them along and coming to carnival night and you know you all of that kind of stuff. I think we, we're we wrapping them in too much cotton wool a bit
0: and they're and dictating more than what I think the coaches do. I like dictating. that idea, but I'm wondering if we're putting too much pressure on them and trying to get them to do too much in regards to, you know, they've got contracts, they've got to fulfil this stuff and, you know, there's so much training that's going to be done. I'm going to give a
1: perfect example of somebody who I... And I'm, and I look, I wasn't in the inn, but I can say I grew up in the same co- in the same um, co- squad stable as as um, Kieran Perkins. And I remember specifically as a 14, 15, 15, year old Kieran helping out at Saturday morning learn to swim lessons and yeah. randomly helping my brother as a nine year old on his dive at swimming at UQ and all of that. Now, that was the era of Australian swimming where. On any given day, you'd have Channel Nine, Channel Seven, ABC, and their cars parked outside. When you'd walk out with swimming bags to go to your, to Mum's car. Now, of course, they had sponsorship deals to Uncle Toby's, all that sort of stuff. But I still vividly remember him. Not every week, but once, like every few weeks, at least in my in my fifteen year old memory. Guys like him helping out. So I can talk the same thing when how Lewis came into the table. And so, like, I have vivid memories of these of these real, and I'm not just talking little Australian swimming stars. I'm talking, like, big household names, you know, yeah. when they'd come and do their long-distance camps and stuff. So I I I feel like it's an excuse. say all, we are putting too much pressure on them because they've got they've got Instagram accounts to run and this and this and this. I'm like, in my stable, and maybe they were being managed by better management teams, maybe Crew, Glenda, Joe, all of them were managing it in a different way than what these coaches are managing it now with their psychologists and their physios and all of that. But in my memory, I don't mm-hmm. see them having having had this crazy, now. oh, woe is me, stressed? I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, because I've got to do so much. Maybe internally there were discussions like that, but from a fifteen, a fellow 15-year-old that so swam three lanes over with flippers and there was a ladder swimmer in that lane once a month, I never saw any of that. So, yeah, and I don't ever think I've ever in my coaching career ever heard stories of that. I've heard other stories, but not like... That so, I think, like this idea that we're putting too much pressure on our athletes, i said i don't I don't know you you get up, you go to work, you swim, you come home, like I almost think sometimes we're putting too much cotton ball around them, like, come on, this is the Olympics, step, step up, don't make excuses why you didn't swim. you didn't swim hard enough because you didn't get up on the day and you didn't swim hard enough. you know Phillips is a prime example of the I haven't read it. He's just done a documentary series in the uh-huh. US about how he suffered from mental illness and how he dealt with it through the Olympics and all the Olympics he was in and all of that kind of stuff. And how he's interviewed I think he's interviewed other athletes of the same real, like age level kind of thing. Yeah. But I personally these guys don't have the media at their door every single day and night. They've got people who run their social media stuff for them like is it any more pressure or is it the same amount of pressure like
0: yeah I don't know is it a different pressure as well yeah it's an interesting way of looking at it
1: I guarantee you 90% of people wouldn't know who's who's the fastest in Australia right now It's 80% of people outside of the sport they wouldn't have a clue but back in the day when Kieran Perkins and those boys and Kowalski and you know Klim and all of them were, they'd know you People still recognise them as they walk down the street. I've seen them in the cities. Do you know what I mean? They let them go. They oh, that's that was my. He was a very good swimmer. One, he was a very good swimmer. People just let him go walk down the street. I actually think that some of these younger swimmers who are successful, it's in their own head. They're told they're so good, they're so this, they're so that. Oh, I'm too much pressure. I'm too much pressure. I'm like, this is life. Yeah. They walk And maybe because of social media. They want to be me, 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 And a perfect example is when they were sitting in the grandstands a few years ago, all on their phones. I don't know. I could be totally wrong and seeing it with a totally glassy eyes. And, but I sometimes think it's like, come on guys, you know, I have friends in business and that way, they call them the graduates, the 30 year and unders, the graduates are coming in, the graduates are coming in because they want to be CEOs tomorrow then complain, oh, it's so stressful, it's so stressful. It's like, wait a second here, you want to be a CEO, it's going to be a lot more stressful than this, you mm. know? And I think sometimes some of our athletes, I, I, this, and so maybe they're being overmanaged too. I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe having a psychologist on the call and this and that and a polite instructor and this, maybe there's just too many people involved. Yeah. I just saw from a person that saw people as a 15-year-old who were like, the. it would be interesting to discuss and to talk to them and ring them up and say, well, did you feel any internal pressure when the whole country, two point eight billion million people were watching you swim 400 at the national champions? I do remember hearing Kieran Perkins speak once at a, a gala event and him saying that, Swimming for his school was more stressful at times than swimming at the Olympics. Oh, because yeah? at school, you were swimming for your mates. Yeah. Whereby at the Olympics, there was a level of you're swimming for yourself a bit more. Yeah. As a, young, as a younger swimmer, he felt that. I don't know how he felt as he got older and more and more Australian teams. And, and I'll tell you that GPS swimming in Queensland is the fastest schoolboy swimming in the world. And this and it's got twenty thousand people the whole place is packed to the rafters, bagpipes from BBC and in their trumpets and nudgie with their seventy five thousand borders. They bring like four hundred borders like it's loud, <laughs> and it's fast because every race is a final, every race is a final, and so yeah. it's the adrenaline rush to be on the floor for that is nuts, so yeah. yeah. If if that's a schoolboy's meet, I can't imagine what it's like to be on the floor. of over the Olympics, on the floor, on the actual pool deck, because yeah. that's yeah. pretty, yeah, nuts. But yeah, I don't know what to do about the pressure and the and the kids and and how we deal with it going forward. This mental health thing is huge at the moment. Where where do you push and where do you not push? I yeah. think it's hard. I guess this is a question, and it's a global question, how do you know who can and who can't? Mm, yeah.
0: That's like,
1: I'm sure there were moments where I really frustrated in some of my coaches and teachers, and they pushed me. How did they know to push me and not to push me? Mm. You know? and Getting to know your swimmer. You've got to know your swimmer. Yeah. It's a global question, but... I don't know now if people or coaches are so willing to push so hard. I think a lot of people are also scared. There's that element of scaredness now because if you push them too hard, like what are the consequences, the long-term psychological effects and stuff? They can come back and get you. There's huge concerns of coaches from past time.
0: Yeah, what you think you've done at the time which you thought was right. You know, what effect can it have later on? And, you know, now they're sort of tracing that stuff that, yeah, people ask it, you know, what have I done? What could have, how could that affect them? And how can it come back on me? And that's changes. I'm
1: the queen of saying sorry to them. I mean, I probably lost it once or twice in my coaching career, like where I've just gone, I've just sat down, I said, you kids, I'm done, I'm out, I'm talked out. I said, once, twice, you've been warned, you know the rules and I've apologized to the kids and i apologized to a parent and the parents said, you know what, Kelly, this is the first time I've ever seen you lose it in 15 years and you are knowing you you're teaching. I said, I just, I just cracked it. There this was no respect. And then we got to start from the bottom and work our way back up again. And it, and it happens, you know, you get invited to their weddings and their 21st obviously you did something, right? But you know, and it's a team and, and sometimes, as a co- at the coaching end, of it you're running their lives. You're seeing them more than they're seeing their own family. You know, mm-hmm. for some of those coaches, they literally are seeing them more than their own family. So, it's a really delicate line. But I don't know if I can totally buy into the fact that our our current generation of top Australian swimmers are are rushed to get from one thing and the other than others. And I mean, they I I don't know if I buy completely into that yet or not and then I struggle with the rugby the football guys like what are they doing in between training sessions between morning and afternoon what are you doing with your time like are you
0: going uni are you what are you doing like that's something they're bringing in now with a lot of the kids you know is it Mitch Larkin's doing uni degrees while he's training and and I think that's you know. And he should be, to bring I'm
1: happy to pay him more to swim and go to uni. They're not. Do you know what I'm saying? They yeah. should all be going to uni or to TAFE or, or I don't know, do something. They don't. You get a you get an allowance from Australian Swimming when you're at that level. It's like a mini scholarship. There should be maybe there should be some. I don't know. Is there any contingents around when they get that money? what they do with it and how much they spend on education to training or any of that. Do you
0: know? No, no idea. Don't know about that side of it.
1: Me either. I would be interested to know how, if they are required. You know, it's
0: something that maybe the industry needs to be a bit more translucent that we need to understand. And I think also, like you said before, coaches don't want to know learn to swim but maybe it's learn to swim, need to know what's going up there and how we progress the kid through to the coaching and to the competitive side. We need to know both sides and we need to know it back to front.
1: Well, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you need to know, like, programming in depth because it is quite dry. It is quite dry. And some who was I listening to the other day? It was Lushy. I was listening to Lushy. Lushy, I was like, yes, he loves stats and numbers. So he does numbers and stats on everything in his sets, right? And test set week. And like, he's got a number on his test on a statistical curve. And I was like, dude, your squad must be so mathematically driven by the the time you get them that they must just be over your stats on stats. Like, honestly, he just does stats all the time. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I don't really know if everybody wants to learn about Lushy's stats on stats, but I'm sure there's some ideas of how they would like to see them come to them as a package.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's it, you know, to be able to work together as an industry, we can sort of draw that in and bring that together. And I think that's a very, you know, a, a point that we can... We've got to utilise both sides of it to then develop yeah. athlete into a better person. I've got a quick question for you and then
1: I'll, I'll let you go, going on five almost. Um, what would you like to see in your end of it? Would you like to see more of the learn to swim side from a
0: development progression and
1: funding? Or would you...
0: From my point of view, I think in the country areas, we've got to work a lot more on the learn to swim but they need more opportunities to go into different areas. So like you're saying before with water polo, like there's a bugger of water polo out here in the country. We need different opportunities and they need to be able to see that there are these opportunities out there. They need to be publicised. They need to be educated. We need connection to uh, the pathways connected, I think, as well. So most I'm a swim teacher and that's it. How can we connect those pathways and show them there's so many more careers, so many more options? And I think also Mm -hmm. for the kids to know that, you know, what they go through. So they start at Learn to Swim, then they can do a fun competitive squad and then they can go on and they can develop themselves. And yes, they'll have to do that in Melbourne or, you know, in a, a more regional city but I think it's all about education. It's all about bringing them up and showing them those pathways that I, I quite like. I think it's a good idea.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I just don't know how – my thing now is, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you – yeah, um, yeah, I Yeah. I don't and know. it's all well and good it, sitting back and one. saying
0: that and being able to see it from our angle, but it's how you develop it, how you do it, and, yep. yeah, so how-
1: your kids, they go to a little Catholic school. Beautiful. I love those schools like that. What do they do for swimming?
0: Well, the teachers actually, well, the principal's quite proactive. So we do a, it's about a two or three week program and I help. So I'll go in there and help the teachers. But out of the six teachers I've got at the school, yeah. three of them are qualified as swim teachers. And then I'm there to help the older kids or this year I want to work with the younger kids and just mentor the, t- the school teachers through as well. And they will go and they'll break them up into their ability levels. One thing I find hard with the schools, though, is they, especially our one, they don't like to, if someone's good at it, if they show some talent, they don't want to point that out. So everyone has to be seen as equal. They don't like having one who's good at swimming and one at something else. That's what I find difficult. Other schools will do a a bit more of a program and they'll do a three or four week and the year 10s will get more work at our public school But, yeah, it it is limited because we only have the summer pools.
1: Yeah, because what I was going to suggest, like if you did in your, your older grades, like if you did like aqua aerobics or any of those kind of more like lifelong things, you know, where kids... Oh, I don't like doing this up no, and but I like don't mind this aqua aerobic stuff. The mm. cool music and stuff. Like yeah. I don't know, just an idea for the schools to look
0: at. Well they started the, brought ways. that in in the Victorian government, made a curriculum of what needed to be done. And they did bring in the aqua water aerobics so we show them a session. The other thing they brought in as well was the flippable, which is the learning version of water polo. And I put out a email to Water Polo Victoria uh, last year or the year before about coming out and doing a sort of yeah. tour around the country pools and showing what water polo they do but it didn't happen and the other one I wanted to do was so the lifeguarding games the, yep. the championships I've put that to Lifesame Victoria a few times and asked about running that sort of thing inland and showing it. Yep that that's something they can do. They can actually represent Australia or Victoria for it. But, you know, I've never heard anything back about it. But I think, you know, that just shows what we can do in swimming, the examples. They can do so much more with it than just swimming up and down a black line at those Olympics and think, oh, that's all I've got. Yeah,
1: because I do unfortunately feel at the moment that unless we re the actual event schedule that we do with the kids, I do feel like we're going to lose a lot of numbers out of this. Yeah. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And
1: I don't know if surf life saving might be a helper in it and saying the kids have to learn to swim better so that they can do surf life saving. If there's a marriage we can do with them, maybe. I, I feel squad numbers this next two years because of the social distancing thing i think are going to be down yeah and i i think a lot of kids are not going to come back to the same sports that they were doing before too
0: the one thing i've got out of all these podcasts is the fact that swimming is the basics for all water sports so if you don't have swimming you can't enjoy boating you can't enjoy white water rafting you can't enjoy water skiing you can't enjoy water polo so I think that's something we have to connect and a lot of presenters and my guests have said connecting with other sports and showing that, yeah, this is the learn to swim is the base and then from there you can enjoy the other water sports that are out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: It's interesting times.
1: Yeah. Really interesting times. I feel sometimes I'm I'm still so removed from it because I'm not on anything So and I work for myself.
0: You do, you get isolated when
1: you work for yourself. You do, you are very isolated. You probably should get one shift a week somewhere to be (laughs) But I get frustrated because I I think you should teach to the child, not to the group. So I'm a very, I don't know how you market my product (laughs) because it's it's just very hard. I have to figure out a way that we can make it bigger because it's very tough.
0: Very, yeah. very tough. Yeah, and it's hard. and I mean I think, like you said, it's it's working to the child, which we can still teach our swim teachers to work to the child. It's about learning how a child learns, um, and that's something I'm really passionate in, and I'm wanting to actually do more of. It's about being able to visually, yeah. okay, this child learns through demonstration, or this child learns through hearing.
1: I also do think it would be interesting for you, if if your swim school comes back up running this summer, that you take one class that has three different levels in that one class Yeah. and you go to the child, you'll just practice two of these, I'm working with this, then you just work down the line of each child and that's how I was taught to teach because we never had levels. So uh, you're gonna do your two life nap, you're gonna go back, you're gonna do this, no, nah, you're gonna you gotta keep going like and you were just constantly going through the three and nobody ever stopped. My kids never stop. Like yeah. like you stop, you're dying. So you like yeah. you know, like
0: <laughs> I do like that and that's exhausted. I find that and I get mentally into it and I do get exhausted too. The thought of coming out of COVID offering more family lessons and the fact that you may have someone that can do a couple of laps and someone who can maybe swim half the pool. But I love thinking of activities that you can do with the different levels, same activity, but how do you critique it or how do you develop it for those different levels in the one group? I do like that and I do that a lot.
1: So I've been working with one little girl, she's five, and I've had her mum or dad in the water. I've had her twice a week last. So 6 we're trying to get a few things pushed through. And we've, I've had her parents in the water with her for like 15 to 20 minutes. That's their lesson. She never makes 30 minutes. She's not a, like a big, big kid. Like that's just not her nature. But we have told her she has to do this. Like, it's like you don't get a choice in life. So we've had them in there. So sometimes, like, I get her on the board and she kicks to halfway. And I said, All right, you got to try and dad's going to do one lap and you're going to go to halfway, Mark. Who's going to win? You know, or like, All right, dad, you got to do four practice laps before dad gets back from his three breaststroke laps. So you better get moving. Like, and then I'm working with her brother on the other side of the pool doing his stuff. So we've really had a, a big family. And it's and it seems to work. And because they're touching them now, they understand body position. They're asking more questions. I'm then going home and doing more research. Something if there were been a few questions about like a research-based statistics, and I get home, I research and send the text message. So it was. I didn't want to come back with a whole bunch of clients like that. I just wanted to test it with one. Because I think what I'm gonna do come September is I'm not gonna have mixed family groups, so I'm gonna to have to teach one family at a time.
0: Time, yeah, yeah. There's... Because
1: I'm just too scared of the coronavirus. Get get sick, test, no, you can't teach for two days. Oh, oh it's not new week. Oh, we're gonna start the cycle again. Yeah. So. I'm gonna try and stay out of the water and do family group lessons as for as long as I possibly can, which I think will probably be to the end of October, and then I'll make a call. Oh, yeah, because other and it's not gonna suit every family. I know one of my clients already said, "Can you just come back and teach?" Her? And I said, I said, Christina, even though his daughter is like nine and she can swim." She doesn't like it when I'm on the side of the pool. She likes me to be like one-on. She loves that one-on-one. I'm here, you're here, we're racing, we're in this together. She loves that, and it's very special because in two years' time, of when she's twelve, you know, a couple of years' time when she's twelve, thirteen, she's not going to like that. So yeah. we just we go with it for now, you know. Like it's a very special, beautiful part of her personality that.
0: Mm, that and I've loved,
1: and she needs to get back into swimming, but. I'm not prepared to get in the water. What are we going to do? Yeah.
0: So. Yeah.
1: I think the the thing, the family, the family lessons are going to be the way of the future for a while. But yeah, I would like to see what some of the guys in the U S are doing with those. You know how they're all wearing the shields and how they find that.
0: Yeah. And it was coming, something that was coming into Melbourne, uh, especially with the before lockdown, our second lockdown, with masks we're having to wear masks so they were bringing that in and a few of them said it wasn't too bad and it depended on what the brands you got and things like that so it was interesting it was just coming in but what happens with it when we get back into the pool it'll be an interesting one thank you thank you very much it's been great